forget about that. It's time to talk about Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I'm going to leave everything out previous to that part where I said forget about that so people are wondering what we were talking about. They'll never know. <sighs> You'll never know that you're my hero for talking about Star Trek all the time with me on Fridays. I get really excited about this. Yeah, we uh, typically have like a very brief discussion over the course of a week about what vague idea or specific topic we want to cover here in this subspace transmission, a We Were Gamers podcast production. <laughs> a plus. A plus. Uh, branding on point. Um, and our topic today, uh, we... We came to, uh, and then I had a lot of fun looking up and thinking of my ideas about this. Uh, do you want to introduce it here? Sure. It's something, it's my, my vision of this topic started and because of what a lot of people complain about. With newer movies, the ships tend to look less crude now i'm not going to say more advanced because the newer shows have done a decent job and even the newer movies have done a decent job of trying to make the ships not look advanced past the original series or the later series but uh, for a while they looked you know like more clean more special than maybe some of the original show did um so i wanted to talk about ship design and that's not really where I headed with my with my notes eventually of like, eh, well, that's a topic that a lot of people talk about. So eventually, uh, we started talking about more general ship design and, and uh, just Star Trek's view of what it's like to travel through space in giant tin cans. Yeah, it's pretty surprising how... If you go and look at, like, the entirety of every ship that was designed for Star Trek, right? And, of course, there's, like, I'm sure I haven't even seen all of them because there's tons of stuff that was, like, oh, only in this one scene or this one episode of the original series that you found this weird thing. But you can kind of, like, divide the various factions out there into, like, groups with, like, their own design aesthetic, right? Very clearly, yes. Star Trek, or uh, Starfleet. And uh, the the sort of the the uh, United Federation of Planets kind of has its design theme over here on this side. Right. The, Klingon, the Klingons kind of have their own thing over there. The Romulans have a thing that's kind of like the Klingon thing, but like still different. Uh, you know, the Borg have this like you know mechanical and primary shapes thing, very and, geometric. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that they. Uh, you know, I guess in order to kind of like give the viewer a quick like, hey, who is this? That you know immediately by looking at it, right? Yeah. Do you think that's just from repetition or do you think that's from... I definitely agree the Borg probably, their mathematical design of a ship, you know, is like, well, it's in space. It doesn't need to do anything. It's a cube or a circle. So like actually the... uh the Borg have the best, if you want to like go by science or whatever, the Borg actually have the best sort of ships because there isn't air in space. You don't have to be sleek or have like flowing lines or any of this stuff because none of that matters in space. You can literally take a square and accelerate it and it will go just as fast in space as something with 
uh, you know, some cool design that looks like wings and all this stuff. And despite everything you know, of the races and and factions all having unique ship designs, you know, the Bajorans and the Dominion and mm-hmm, and yeah. the Federation, and you can they all are so unique that they stand apart from each other, uh, minus a few one-off ships. They still not a single one of those factions iterates on what I would call general space design. So if you watch. Uh, Babylon 5 or The Expanse or Battlestar Galactica or any of the other kind of modernized versions of space shows, um, everyone is in the submarine tube, right? Like, it's a rocket, so it looks kind of like a rocket still in space. Yeah, they, everyone has sort of stuck with the idea of spaceships are just regular Earth ships, but in the sky in the stars somehow <laughs> then there's you know battleship yamato which is literally a battleship in space right yeah and they don't <laughs> even like try it's just like look man this is just a ship uh you know we we took the flight deck and everything it's kind of smart right because then you could land it in the water yeah sure i guess if it, it didn't know how you puncture. would yeah, or, or you didn't somehow melt on re-entry <laughs> uh and like you know obviously when you start to examine ship design in Star Trek and really almost any show from like a serious scientific standpoint, it doesn't hold up, right? Yeah, you would need something very compact and smaller to try and make it through atmospheric reentry and almost nothing right. in Star Trek would survive right. reentry. And even with futuristic materials that somehow don't exist and can't exist, uh, you know, the, the the shapes and stuff that you use to build those ships make no sense whatsoever. You would never do something that way if you were trying to achieve the things that these ships say that they're doing, right? Yeah, and one of my my quibbles actually um, lines up with one of these things. And and I have very few complaints about Star Trek ship design because you have to suspend your disbelief. And once you do that, you kind of enjoy what you're looking at, right? Like, wow, these are aesthetically pleasing, actually. Right mm-hmm. beyond beyond the normal. Oh, okay, cool. It's a spaceship with a lot of guns on it. Sci-fi look. Um, like the Battlestar Galactica is a beautiful ship in sci-fi because it's iconic, but it's not really a looker. Right. You gotta look at it. and It looks like a potato. Yeah, and it suffers from the submarine thing like you were talking about before right, right? yeah like just Where, like the the wing commander tiger claw you know like the same problem Ooh, that's a deep pull i don't know that everyone's gonna know that one okay uh, but it's the same design of a ship because they're both aircraft carriers and they right they were yeah, like exactly what if we took a submarine and turned it into an aircraft carrier and we put this big long runway down the middle and then everyone flies out this end and on this other end we have torpedoes but they're space missiles you know that kind of stuff right um yeah and a lot of sci-fi falls into that. Uh, sure. Um, even games, right? Like uh, Totally. Uh, what is the game? Uh, Homeworld. All the ships in Homeworld look like that. Uh, Flotilla. Um, a lot of the designs in um, Into the Breach. Uh, what's the other game that they made? Um, uh, FTL. FTL. Yeah, even the FTL designs, you know. They had yeah. infinite space to make FTL designs. They could have done whatever they wanted, and they're all still kind of blocking. Yeah, 
you know, it, it is a it is both a trope and a kind of an expectation of the audience that the ships kind of look like ships in yeah. some level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even so, you can't even, uh, Star like, Wars. even though. Yeah, totally. Star Wars actually has a lot of also, lot of a lot of also big problems with its like you know scientific side of its space stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, they're absolutely in that same vein. Here's um, the big triangles versus the big blobs. Right. When in fact, it, like you know, in space, there's really no reason to not just make everything big cubes or rectangles or something. Right. Because there really is no. Uh, you know, like, there's no difference in how it moves in space. It's all just gravity affecting it. So it's going to affect it the same, whether it looks like a sleek, cool fighter jet or whether it looks like a giant block. Um, you know, obviously there is some benefit to having it look nice on the outside, but no one's going to care in space. So you might as well just make it big and, you know, imposing. Yeah. And unlike the, uh, Kelvin timeline, uh, original Star Trek did say that ships were assembled in space. So... You can kind of just throw out everything when you watch Star Trek and enjoy the designs, right? Like, yeah, they're yeah. not meant you know, to be on planets. Whatever they can do, whatever yeah. they want. They do put them on planets occasionally, and we'll just like just ignore that. <laughs> the Enterprise D doesn't do very well when it hits a planet, so we're good. Nope, and Voyager doesn't do great either. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Anyway, so back to Star Trek. We, we've we've accomplished. That Star Trek sets itself apart with ship design. They're they're fully and wholly unique, I think. Okay. The most iconic of ship designs being the the Federation nacelles, maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say it sort of you get an interesting like design theme between the different races, I guess in in Star Trek, right? The nacelles are the one that you you think of for the Federation, right? The tube thing, which kind of like glows and flashes when they go into warp. Sure. That's always kind of separated a bit from the main body of the ship by either little fins or little, uh, you know, like little uh, parts of the ship that are kind of poking these nacelles out away from the main ship for whatever reason. Yeah, I assume, and I did not do enough research, but I believe in the past, I think in next generation they talk about the nacelles need to be out there because they're so volatile um and they're the ones generating that field right that they use so they gotta to be, go through warp or right, whatever right um what's interesting to me about that conceit is that the nacelles have to be like this to generate a warp field or whatever and yep. um and how many other races ships don't have nacelles Right, like, if that's the way it has to be, how can the Klingon bird of prey fly? Or how can, you know, the, um, well, the Romulan ships all have nacelles, but... Yeah, the Romulan um, ships have those, like, big wing-like things up on the sides. Maybe and the, so do some Car- of the Klingon ships do, too. But, yeah, I mean, the, the bird of prey, the old-school one, doesn't. Yeah, Cardassian ships maybe don't. Not really. The Borg obviously don't, but then they use trans warp. That's true. They don't use warp. <laughs> uh, as though, like, that's just a hand wavy way to get around that problem. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, it was, um, it's interesting that they created this trope of needing a nacelle to be part of the design so that, you know, the original ship still stands okay. And mm-hmm. then they're somewhat limited in the Federation, at least, uh, mantra to 
creating these nacelles off to the side, even if they're part of the body, like on the Defiant. It's kind of cool. I, and it makes such a iconic thing. You can just show anybody the Enterprise and they'll know, you know? The design specifically of the original Enterprise and the Enterprise D also from the next generation um, is because of how popular those things were in their time kind of influenced everything else in sci-fi to some level in that everyone now associates that thing as that's just that's a spaceship that's what spaceships look like and it's funny too because the original enterprise is probably even the most horrible of federation designs <laughs> you look at it uh compare it with like you know, the enterprise d and some of the stuff that came later and you can really see that like hey this was made for a TV show on a budget. Less less the quality of it and more like, hmm, I wonder where the weak point of this starship is. I mean, it, you don't want to talk about that stuff. The, it's the same in every single Federation ship. They got a little uh, better towards the end, you know, like the... Oh, we'll talk... Maybe this is the time to talk about it, but, you know, the Federation has become the... The nacelles are still there, but now they are the flat ships. Right. I was going to say that over time, the Federation morphed from having this kind of two level with the, the nacelle prongs thing with like a, a main saucer and like the the lower area down below. They kind of you could see over time the the ship design kind of evolving as the saucer and engineering sections got closer to each other until they kind of just became a flat thing. Yeah. And and we're almost to the point that they've retconned it because Discovery, I think, is a flat ship. And a whole bunch of other, uh, of the later new, like later older ships, right? Like they went, they, when they've gone back, the old ships are still flatter. I think that the, uh, does the NXs are flat as well. Uh, right. All of those from original, like Enterprise, Enterprise are, uh, did, is Discovery in the canonical? Prime. Yeah, Prime Discovery timeline? is Prime, which okay. is I'm very curious. Once we start watching Discovery, and I'm sure that will be part of this show, uh, to see why Klingons have changed again. Yeah, where in the timeline does it fall? Do we know? Um, I don't know. Post Post Archer pre Kirk, because they're adding Pike this season. By the way. This upcoming season two is going to be Captain Pike. Okay, so they're like right there then. Yeah, right it's, before it's Kirk. real close to the Enterprise, original Enterprise. Mm. Uh, it's about a decade, I think. So, okay. um, But, you know, the Discovery is a flat ship. The NX-01 is a flat ship. The Enterprise-E is a flat ship. Um, so the, the, the Federation design has somewhat been retconned away from the original Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you showed someone the discovery or the enterprise E they would still know. Right. Totally. Um, and it's cool. It's cool in a way because also the enterprise one, uh, one seven zero one, when you look at like new art of the one seven zero one, um, uh, the prime one, not the Kelvin one, the red nacelles, not the blue nacelles, um, right. has also started to become flatter in newer art. Oh, interesting. You mean like the artist's renditions artists, of the... Yeah, they're much tighter. The nacelles are closer to the saucer and much less high up and uh, stocky and a little bit flatter. Yeah, no, then if you go back and actually watch the show. Right, exactly, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it is striking how they uh and you know some of that is like modern design versus what was considered like good design back in the 60s and 70s uh you know and then into the 80s and 90s with the other shows um so you can kind of see the influence of modern design on older stuff and I think that that's true in general for a lot of things right like you look at how art deco as a movement like a design movement was you know, back in the 60s and then like 70s and that time, you know, with disco and that stuff. And then, you know, that's not those sort of things aren't really in in style today. Uh, and so cleaner lines, you know, smooth design, that sort of stuff is a lot more prevalent. And now you can kind of see those influences working their way backwards on stuff that doesn't really fit that design. But people may be wanting it to fit a little better. Right. Oh, man. I never thought I'd hear the words Art Deco on a We Were Gamers podcast. I love this subseries. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, you know, it's just like that was the, those were kind of the influences on the original design of the ship, right? Right. Yeah. And, Absolutely. You know, and then as they move forward, you know, you got other kinds of, you know, more interesting stuff when they, in TNG, when they started finally bringing out a lot more of the, uh, other races ships and then the movies when they started bringing out you know the other races and their ships more prominently as well beautiful they're just pretty they're pretty to look at and the, you know like even the other races ships sometimes are pretty to look at a board cube is actually a very intricate thing to look at or oh yeah um the romulan warbird is like what am i looking at here this is a crazy like bendy thing or uh um, yeah and the you know the, that Klingon bird of prey has a really like iconic look of like oh. this this like hawk swooping down and on it's you. So you know? it's so menacing, right? Like in a in a non traditional sense, in a in a like this makes no sense. Why does this ship look like this? It's in space. Yeah, like why why does it have wings? That's why dumb. does it have wings? Yeah, but well, like it's been encountered so many times and. The fascinating part about that is it didn't... I don't think it existed until the movies came out. Uh, I don't think so either. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's only from the movies. And, and well, you, it became a huge part of, um, what, DS9 used a bunch of them. Um, yeah, they showed up throughout the rest of the, the shows, not infrequently after they became very popular in those couple movies where they uh, featured... Uh, from the original crew, right? Right. But they were not like the, they were not the ship you see all the time on TV, though. Because very interestingly, the Klingon ship, right? The the Bird of Prey is a pretty small ship in terms of size. Like, right. if you compare it to the size of the Enterprise or the size of, uh, you know, the Romulan Warbird, it, it's small. It, you know, it's like closer to the size of something like the Defiant than it is something like the Enterprise. So that's not the Klingon's big fancy ship the big fancy ship is the one you see on tng all the time that looks like a ball with a hat on its head the Klingon on battle cruiser yeah i forget like d7 or whatever that thing is called i don't know it has a Klingon name the I one don't know from the kobayashi maru tests yes exactly yeah and that one is their main ship of the line or whatever but it looks horrible it's <laughs> i am glad that we straight up agree on that i have a note here that was like when talking about Bird of Prey, mention how much I hate battle Klingon battle cruiser. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's bad. And I, like it's, it's maybe the worst design in the show. It doesn't make sense. It's yeah, it has this like engine section in the back with the two things kind of branched off on the side of it again, and then this long tube, and at the front there's this circle and a hat on top of the circle. And gosh, why? I you know, if the cells are a weak point of a of a federation ship, this is 10 times worse. You know, and and thankfully, I guess, for uh, all of Star Trek is that everyone has shields because good goodness otherwise you just shoot like a gun yeah just a regular pistol at one of these ships and it's just gonna blow up decompress the neck and then bye-bye yeah it's a really nonsensical looking ship and Um, there's a reason i think that it's kind of fallen out of of klingon lore right like they don't i don't think you've seen a klingon battle cruiser in anything since tng uh you see him in ds9 a bunch of times when the Klingons are at war uh, with the Federation um, or sorry, at, are with the Federation at war against the Dominion. Right. Um, so you see him there um, and Gowron has his like, you know, whatever the name of his special one is or whatever. But like, yeah, you don't see him a lot uh, and wisely, probably. <laughs> it's unfortunate when you get stuck with certain things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you compare it to you know, that one, and you compare it to, like, the Bird of Prey, which looks so iconic and cool, but, like, canonically is much smaller and therefore can't serve that purpose, and you're just, like, bummed out. You're like, oh, man, you had, like, really good designers somewhere in on uh, on Kronos, right? Like, you had, like, really good ones, and then, like, that guy got fired after doing the first one, and he hired someone else, and he did a bad job. Well, the Battle Cruiser's <laughs> been around since the original series. Okay. Well, clearly the guy they fired from doing the bad job, they hired someone better the second time. Then. Well, that's what I want to point out, though, is so the Enterprise looks that way in the original series. And by DS9, you've had one, two, three Enterprises, a million other Federation ships, including like the Defiant, the Reliant, the um, you know DS9 itself. Uh, the runabouts, the the shuttlecrafts, everything has changed canonically so much for the Federation in that span of time. Mm-hmm. And the Klingons have their battle cruiser, which is exactly yep. the same as it was in the original series. And they've added the bird of prey. Where's the redesign? You know, like why? Yeah, it's. I don't know if they were trying to make a point because maybe they are about how. Klingon culture doesn't shift as drastically as maybe the Federation culture does. And if, if so, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but you know, even a military power does a redesign every, every 20, 30 years on stuff like this. So there should be at least a variation of the battle cruiser that's come through. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it's entirely possible that these are the, like the D eight battle cruisers instead of the D seven ones. But like, you can't tell the difference because the, it has a better Batleth training room inside or something that you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. But it, it maybe it is. And and the more I think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense if it were a reference to... I mean, the Klingons are pretty rooted in tradition and all that kind of stuff. So they would be pretty into the idea of, like, the stuff from our warrior past right. is better. And, they you know, if you read a lot of the fiction and stuff about what happens inside of a bird of prey, which I think they're run by like 15 person crews, you know, 
Um, yeah, they're pretty small. The engines and how those work and how hot they run and whether or not there's radiation leaks all over the place and stuff like that. And those those ships are kind of interesting. Like the the bird of prey specifically. I mean, despite it looking like so amazing and iconic. You know, when they talk about the, like, submarine aspect, like, the Bird of Prey actually acts like a real submarine in respect that it's invisible all the time, so it can sneak around the way a submarine can because it's underwater. It also has all these issues of, like, oh, the engines are super hot all the time, so you have to be, like, kind of uh, careful with how you pilot it, just like you can't go crazy in a submarine or you're going to cause too much noise and they'll find you. And, you know, because the all those issues where it has to decloak before it can shoot because of movie necessity. Unless you're in the undiscovered country. Yeah. And, you know, all that stuff and essentially. Then, uh, but, you know, it gives that it makes the it makes that ship much more analogous to what a submarine would be than a, a lot of stu- uh, space fiction does with their submarine analogy so i thought that was an interesting look at the bird of prey even though it looks nothing like a submarine uh it does have some of those actual you know small crews close quarters tight cramped bridge kind of stuff and i know we've joked about the wings and i complained that it doesn't have nacelles uh somebody's gonna write in and tell me that oh but they use the wings as blah 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 yes i know they like create the field using the wings yeah uh yeah i'm sure they're right it's just not it's not the easiest explanation for for something that could have been easier. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, you know, definitely what happened was someone made the design and then was like, how can we fit the tech to make this sure. design? Right. It's, it's not, it didn't go that way. Anyway. Yeah. It, oh, you know, like, hey, what looks cool? They did that. And then they were like, how can we fit the story around this thing looking cool? Yeah. Do you like the way the Federation headed with the flatter stuff like the Defiant and the Enterprise E? It certainly looks, they look more like what I would consider to be modern spaceships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a problem with it in that respect. Uh, I think the the Federation on a whole, and well, I guess Starfleet in particular, kind of as the series got on, militarized a lot more. Yeah. Kind of sort of a reflection of the times, yeah. I guess. Well, they had to, uh, I guess. Yeah, they kept running into military problems. And they, they yeah. struggle with that story-wise. But, you know, the ships start to get, like, quantum torpedo full-spread yeah, low loadouts. and We got like, a lot of guns on these ships yeah. now, you know. Whereas, uh, you know, TNG is like, should we shoot, I don't know, phasers? One torpedo? I don't think we should shoot. And then Half-power phasers. Yeah, and then by the end it's like... Uh, there's a Borg ship coming. Light it up, you guys, with like 95 million quantum torpedoes. Fire as many torpedoes as you can yeah. shoot quickly, please. Uh, yeah, and that's you know some of that is the signs of the times. Uh, you know, militarization is a big thing in uh, the U.S. culture, anyway. Uh, and so that's being reflected there. Uh, also, it's the sign of like, hey, these are the, this is the direction this fiction went. Um, it definitely got a lot more, you know, militaristic and uh, into battles and spectacle in that respect. So, you know, hey, you want to show the more military side of things. Uh, you know, in theory, the science vessels and stuff are still out there doing science stuff. Uh, but you sure don't see them because they don't have many guns, right? <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, I kind of like them when them they became kind of the, the stealth version of ships, right? Because... The Federation supposedly can't use 
the cloaking technology, even though they steal it sometimes to use it or whatever. Um, yeah. I like that the Bird of Prey gave writers so many problems that they had to write into, like, the Model UN or whatever that, uh, oh, the Bird of Prey is, is grandfathered <laughs> in, but nobody's allowed to use stealth technology anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, the, but it, they make these little the, ships that look stealth. <laughs> The, the literally the model UN of the Federation and everyone got together. It's like stealth is cheating. Let's just not you guys. <laughs> uh, and then the Romulans like, we'll use it. We don't care. Ha <laughs> The Klingons are like, no, no, we still have these. We're not going to not use them. Like, okay, yeah. fine. So those are the only cloak ships. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, uh, whatever, but it, it is pretty funny. Uh, the bigger thing, you know, is the ship design. It kind of has this uh, this boat like look to a lot of them, right? You know, we talked about how they seem like they're they're Earth boats transplanted up into space in some ways. Sure, the battles sort of play out like what you would imagine a naval battle to play out like as well, right? You do, you know, oh, everyone kind of circles each other and tries to shoot each other, you know, oh, line them up for a broadside, matey, kind of kind of stuff they right? definitely lack hmm how do i put this uh the the kelvin timeline battles are hither and yon laser shows right, right. where either the camera's going wild and you can't tell what the ship is doing because it's moving Woo! Yeah. or like in the con one they just sort of static and there's missiles and lasers flying everywhere. And then the camera goes wild tracking the missiles and lasers. So I have no idea how to judge Kelvin timeline space battles. Um, uh, Enterprise and, or not Enterprise, um, original and TNG. The ships basically don't move, right? Like they right. just sort and, of there. And, and if they shoot at each other, they shoot at each other while standing still. <laughs> and a lot of that, you know, you understand, you know, you understand why, right? They're Budget. making a TV show. Those budgets are expensive. Right. Showing the ships flying around space. Those effects shots are like crazy expensive. So obviously they did as few of them as right. possible. So um, the later series, they you get into the ships fighting each other and they just sort of kind of dogfight as you would expect inside of gravity. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, it's flying around as though this was... uh. You know, like atmosphere, right? Oh, it's it's making a banked turn and that kind of stuff. Right. When attack pattern delta is maybe the 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 wildest we get in terms of what we expect the ship to be doing. Maybe they're flipping over or doing something. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, making a handbrake turn. Yeah. Um. You really have to go to other sci-fi to get the, and I think maybe Babylon and Battlestar fight for the title on like, okay, roll the ship. Like, turn our other side over sort of stuff. Right. You know, and the... Fighting in a dome. Right. You know, the, oh, we could just go up. Right. Or... Kind of idea, right? Yeah, or we can shift the battle to a different X or Y or Z here. Yeah. And, or the idea of, like, well, I guess the, you know, uh, while momentum is a thing, certainly... Direction is not... It, Direction is not, right? So you could just point whatever way you want. Right. You know, your ship will take a little bit to bleed the momentum or whatever, but right. you can just, like, stop and turn around and go the other way. There's nothing stopping you. Right. You know, from As long as you don't overstress kind of your ship, 
you can flip over and just go the other direction eventually. And the only stress is the stress of how fast you were moving before, right? It's not like you have to worry about the the air ripping off your wings. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. Sure. It's just that if the wing, you know, whatever is holding the wings on is weaker structurally than the center part, right? Right. So anyway, that, you know, science... Look, don't we can't apply science too hard here. No, right, <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think it is interesting how that they continued that kind of naval tradition in sort of how they saw these ships out into and in fact there isn't there a TNG episode where they literally are on a boat named the Enterprise? It's like a sailing ship, oh, right? Oh, that's um the beginning of first contact. That's right. They're using the boat as like the metaphor yeah, for their. Yeah, it's like, like a crew training thing, and Worf is getting a promotion or something, and yeah, and they're using it as like wreck time for the bridge crew. And it's you know the, uh, but like the naval you know uh, aspect of that shows throughout all the way they're treating these ships. Yeah, and and each uh, crew has their own version of you know how they interact like you said submarine crews brought you know like big battleship crews all those sorts of things mm -hmm. right um but back onto design maybe a little bit more than yeah than a, sorry i sidetracked us no right it's here. it's like the mental mental nature behind the design you have to think about like how they see these ships before you see how they design these ships and and it's interesting like to think about that stuff because if you apply them to other races like the Cardassians how do they see the Cardassians okay well they're like a warlike people but they're also kind of snaky and sneaky they look like snakes a little bit yeah they've got this very reptilian kind of I think it's the first aesthetic. time the aesthetic of the people bleeds into the ships hmm I don't know about that I think that some of the other aesthetics of the races bleed into their ships before you see the uh cardassians well, but, but it definitely like hmm. shows a lot better in the cardassian ships because they're so different yeah and um, I, do you like i don't know i can't decide this many years later if i even ever liked the cardassian ships you know and they don't show up that frequently either yeah. um they're really only in ds9 kind of and bad. you really they're yeah they're kind of interesting and cool because they're different, but they're also kind of bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the one Cardassian thing that everyone agrees looks really good is DS9, right? The space sure. the space station, since yeah. they are the one Cardassians built it. It's a fascinating space station. It's really the best thing in Cardassian <laughs> architecture and design. It's, uh, it's way better than the Federation ones, which are literally like a poop smokestack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, uh, Federation space uh, space stations look like weird, abnormally grown mushrooms. Somebody in the design room was like, "Okay, so the biggest thing—they're not going to have nacelles because they don't move, but the biggest design element in the Federation is saucers. What if yeah, it was so we, saucers all the way down? Yeah, which just make it look like a a weird mushroom, <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah. all right, I guess." Well. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot, uh, back to the Cardassians again, and, and they, you only see their ships maybe like a handful or a slightly more times, and their architecture is so cool. You want to go, like, when they go to Cardassia uh, for those few episodes every now and then, um, there's a lot of, like, really cool architecture and stuff there that you think, like, oh, 
It really shows this like militaristic authoritarian society with all their like, you know, angular buildings and their breastplates that are all crazy angles and stuff. But like their ships look kind of. Yeah, they're like they look like a tow hitch with a a earwig attached to them. It looks like the bottom half of a ship meant to mate to the top half of a ship that looks cooler. Yeah, it looks like the tail to a bigger ship. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that. I do not know either. Yeah, so I don't know. At some point when looking at all of these, I definitely picked out my favorite and my least favorite ship. Did you you happen to come across like a... Man, I really wish I this was a design element more or like, man, I really wish this didn't exist sort of things or no. Yeah. I definitely found some stuff that like I really liked and some stuff that I didn't, uh, I don't know about like specific elements, but I definitely found specific ships where I was like, this is not, and shouldn't have been a thing. Uh huh. Um, and we did talk about at least, uh, we've talked about actually both of mine here, uh, a little bit before I'll just start with, uh, I really, think that that Klingon battlecruiser is bad. It's maybe the worst capital ship in the... It, it's definitely the worst capital. It's beyond even some of the bad ships in Voyager that show up that are one-offs. The, I think that the bio up. ships and the yeah. other weird stuff that shows up later in Voyager. Yeah. Um, the, that Klingon battlecruiser, for how, for how much it showed up in TNG and DS9, gosh, it looks dumb. Yeah, if you've got a ship that's gonna show up that much it better that's the one thing they should have redesigned right like uh, yeah ugh, bad taste for yeah. sure yes and, and the color what is with uh you've got this green, green. you've got well no you've got green you've got green and and red and like ba looking birds of prey that are out there yeah. and then you got these gray klingon battle cruisers that look like they were matte they were matte painted for another color right it's like a bottom layer like a yeah. like a primer, and then they just never painted them. They took like light green primer and sprayed it over them, and you're just like, "What is this, you yeah. guys?" Yeah, what? I mean, there's a huge missed opportunity there to like color them up, you know, make them look crazy. Yeah, and there are other ships, you know, uh, Romulan ones and uh, other races that, uh, you know, other those minor like one off races and stuff. Who you see the ships have like designs on the outside. They have patterns. They have color, uh, and that kind of stuff. You know, and like that's it's allowed, right? Of course, space doesn't care if you paint the outside of your ship or not. But like, if you if you have one and you want to make it look cool, like let's you know spice it up a little <laughs> bit, draw some like sweet Klingon runes <laughs> on it or something. They yeah. Didn't even do that. Yeah, Mike, that's definitely my least favorite capital ship. I also um, I'm not a big fan of almost all of the. Federation um, shuttlecraft, pretty much. Yeah, so I I didn't know if we were going to talk about shuttlecraft, but specifically, I don't like any of the warp-capable ones. Right, yeah. Agreed. Okay, same page. Yeah, they... The original design of the shuttlecraft is like, oh, look, it's this little mini box-like thing with, like, some nacelles on the side because that's how you, you go in space, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it, you they just use it to fly up and down to the planets, and that's all right. Yeah. And then, like, sometime, I don't know when, after the original series, they decided, you know what? These things can do warp, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't get that. Um, I don't understand how there's space for that in that. But, okay. I really think 
almost all of them should have been early and late variations of like the Delta Flyer, pretty much. Yeah, the Delta Flyer is like the best version of those things, but also, like, I, I get my problem with them more stems from the fact that like, why can they warp? Um, but I, I can get over that if I just look at the like the design of them. I don't. They just look so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Why like can they work squares. is a good question. Cause we should talk about, uh, but I would need to actually like rewatch episodes about like how warp works. Yeah. And, and like, I, I don't want to read a technical manual or anything, so no. I'm sure there's a reason. I just don't care. You know, it's interesting in fiction this big, you, you kind of shouldn't bother with a technical manual because next episode of Discovery, they could rewrite the whole thing. Totally. And, you know, and that's fine, right? But, you know, the, the explanation is out there. I'm just curious as to how they justified it. Yeah. Because, man, they Warp Core is such a big thing in, you know, the original series and in TNG. And they're like, oh, well, you could, I, maybe you could just make them smaller and then they don't warp as good. Is that how it works? I don't know. Um, yeah, so, I, anyway. I especially don't like ships like the Runabout either for that reason. Yeah, exactly. It, it has this, like, oh, we're like a little a lifeboat on the side of this other thing kind of uh, feel to them. And yeah, I, they feel bad for exactly that reason. Okay, cool. We're all on the same page on that one. Any uh, standouts for you? Um, I think my favorite, I have like two kind of really favorite ones. Um, one from like a design perspective and then one from like a, a coolness perspective. Uh, and I would say that the, Romulan Warbird is very, very cool. You're talking about the big green one. The big green one, Not right. The with little the two original series ones. No, I'm talking about the, the ones that show up in the movies and the next generation uh, stuff with the sort of yeah. the two side wings. I'm amazed by the fact that they wrote out those little ones completely and then they only basically fly around in these Warbirds. It's a very interesting yeah. choice. Because I guess they have such a homogenous society, right? That they're just like homogenized all the ships too. There's like, nope, one ship, whole fleet, boom. Yeah. They decided that like, oh, they're so secretive. You, We've never seen them before. Here they are. They've been around for hundreds of years. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, and just the design of how that ship looks, it's very different from a side profile from the front profile, right? The front profile, you get those like double wishbone kind of wings out to the side. If you look at it on the side, it's all very sleek and one piece kind of a thing. And the top. And the top, yeah. Oh, man. It's it's a really cool-looking ship. Um, and the front is so different than the rest of the body, too, right? Like, you've got this huge shape that... And this is one of the problems with it, right? Like, oh, it's so hard to hit from the front because it's got all these missing areas. And then you're like, but what if you just roll over the top? <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but it's so cool. The front of it looks so awesome. That huge, like, beak on it, you know? Right, yeah. It definitely, you get a, you get the sense of it being bird-like in that way, right? It's got this huge kind of, like... You know yeah, what it reminds me of a little bit? Um, from Watchmen. What's the guy's name? The Owl? Owl, owl Man? Owl Man or whatever. Uh, Night Owl? Night Owl? Is that his name? I think it's I Night think Owl. So. Yeah. I think it's Night Owl. Yeah, but like Night Owl's costume is what that thing looks like to me. 
Mm. A little bit, yeah. We're, like, kind of, right? It's, like, yeah. over yeah. the top in that way. Um, Kind of huge. Anyway, I think it's funny. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's cool. I like it. Oh, what was it your is. other one? Uh, I really like the Borg. I think the Borg designs are all really good um, in general. And the cube is such, like, an iconic idea of, like, this clearly evil yet like very mechanical and precise race of beings uh, that are just out here to like do some really evil stuff in a very logical and bad way. Uh, And it's not necessarily that the cube is like very cool looking, although it is pretty cool looking, I think it's just that it fits so perfectly with everything that the Borg is about. You see the cube and you immediately know, all right, these people are like robots or something because no human would ever build something that looks like that. Nice. I, I, it's just cool. The Borg ships are just cool. And the fact that they have like another ship inside of them that they're well thought out. Yeah. I also kind of have two cause I had a, okay. I love this ship, but it's not the coolest looking one. And I realized why I loved it was story and design elements of it. And then I have mm-hmm. one that I just like is so iconic that I can't let it go. Um, yeah. And that's the iconic one is the, the bird of prey I think is just, yep. it's awesome to have a ship that is literally like, okay, well our culture falls back on wanting to seek glory in these tin cans that are kind of death traps. And like, the way that it looks when it warps, when the wings come up, the way that it looks when it lands, when the wings come up even further, the way that it looks when it's in combat mode, when the wings come down yeah. and just, you know, like, okay, it's, it's this calm, tiny combat ship that maybe doesn't hold up to more than one or two torpedo hits. That just sticks out to me as like a, such a good design overall that like can't be replaced in a weird way. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best designed and and has the most uh, like iconic look and they le- to Star Trek ships. And they just lean into what that ship means with how it looks, right? Like it took on a different flavor because of how how it looked. So I like that ship a lot. And then my other one's the Defiant. You can't say that it's like super aesthetically pleasing. It's just kind of a right. shape. Mm-hmm. But the began, I think, the flat ship trend, right? I think that that was... It was certainly the first one that we saw in fiction. And it was like, oh, it was some prototype or whatever. Right, exactly. Right? The... And it's it's been pressed into service and put out there. And it's a flat ship that they were designing for combat. They were like... The idea behind it and the one that they should have stuck with was that these were prepping for war... We don't want to re-enlist all our science vessels, which are ostensibly what Starfleet's about. We're going to design these warships. Like, that's all they're for. You can fit cloak drives to them silently because that's not legal. You know, the, they were flat. They looked like little snub nose fighters, right? There's no saucer mm-hmm. on it. Right. The nacelles are, are armored. And off, still off to the sides, but now the Elton cells are armored. You know, the, the, the bridge is not just there for everyone to shoot. It's also armored. It was such yeah, a Yeah, you cool... don't just have like a sweet window out to the side where everyone knows to shoot. Yeah, right. Exactly. So to me, the Defiant was cool in how it looked, but not the coolest, but also cool in why it existed. 
and also started the trend of how ships were going to look, even though the Federation ships still had to have nacelles and saucers. I think that Defiant is responsible for a lot of, of design change in the Federation ships. And so I think that one stands out to me a lot too, just for being such a weird and iconic ship. I agree. It is a very iconic look. And I think especially if you, you get a lot of uh, good feelings for the Defiant. uh, If you watched through a bunch of DS nine and you came to love that shoot, that show, like I know both you and I have. Yeah. So I understand getting kind of like, oh, I really feel good about this ship, especially when, you know, how unique it was at the time uh, when you first saw it. You're like, whoa, that's really different. Yeah, from what, what a starship. Yeah. Yeah. What's it for? What does it do? Why does it look like that? Totally. Um, do you, I was curious because I, I started just flipping back and forth between pictures of it. Do you have a preference on the 1701 designs? Because there's, there's like original design, and you can say modernized version of original red nacelle design. There's Kelvin original, which is like huge and bulkier version of the, like it looks beefier, it looks more roundy and bulbous, and it's got like little turrets all over it instead of the sleek original. Or there's also 1701A. Like those three original crew designs, not, not B, C, D, E, any of those, but the, the original crew piloted. Gosh, I don't think I remember enough about what the Kelvin design looks like to comment on it. Um, I sort of have forgotten about that chip a lot. Um, but I think probably, you know, the most, a you know the I, the way I think of what the Enterprise looks like is probably you know the one seven zero one anyway uh, is how it looked in those movies right like Wrath of Khan and so the the blockier nacelles the square nacelles the armored looking ones I is that what those ones look yeah like? they're kind of like really squarish and then the the um, deflector disc changes from like a like a radio receiver to the just blue circle. Yeah, I think that's the one that I remember yeah. a little better. Um, and probably only because that's the one I was introduced to first. I definitely saw those movies before I saw the original series. Oh, okay. And, and I definitely don't think that I have seen every episode of the original series, although probably pretty close to it at this point. It is a very, like, iconic look, yeah. right? Um, Talking about this reminds me that the Enterprise B was an Excelsior design. Yep. We never saw that. Uh, Generations. Hearing, uh, didn't it blow up, though? No, in Generations, it didn't blow up. Just the side of it blew up. And then we never saw it again after that. But uh, right. what's his name from Saving... Or Ferris Bueller was was the captain. Yeah. Well, Generations is a good movie. I agree. And how do you feel about the overall Excelsior design? That kind of like flat top square nacelle thing? Yeah, so the the Excelsior is the first step along the let's make everything sleeker and eliminate this saucer section thing, right? Definitely if flatter. You look at the, yeah. It has, the, it has this much thicker, much more uh, like the neck, right? Is much thicker, much more connected 
then instead of slimming down and becoming this thin little connection to the engineering area down below, it's this wide, chunky kind of thing so that you can kind of make an, a flat S out of the whole ship. Um, it, they're fine. I don't know. Um, I don't have anything like particularly against them, but it, it is very clear that it's the first step along the path to where you would end up with the Enterprise E and the Defiant and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right on. Hmm. That was a lot of ship design talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the topics are, are vast and diverse out here in uh, the vastness of space. Well, that's it, man. I, I, We could go on forever, but I think we covered a huge range of things. I, th- I think we talked about Klingons and the Federation quite a bit. We didn't talk about any of the Dominion ships at all. But yeah, honestly, somewhat I, I forgettable. Honestly, although they had that one that looked say, like a crab. They have... The Dominion is more notable for their color scheme. Purple. Yeah, and like pinkish and then any of their ship designs. Yeah. And I think that if you ask someone, hey, what is a Klingon... Uh, uh, someone who knows, uh, has seen any amount of Star Trek, hey, what does a Klingon ship looks like? They're going to tell you the bird of prey. Right, right? yeah. What's interesting it, about Voyager, too, is they, they went through... Th- probably a hundred different ships that they brought in to, for that show because they had to keep encountering new ones. And yet there's none of them that were like, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, by the end, they definitely had like two or three main series villains. You get the Kazon and then you get that weird, like biomechanical species yeah. and then the Borg eventually. And yeah, you know, it's not, yeah, vo- man, Voyager. <laughs> I don't know, man. The Kazon. The Kazon ships are not... They're not great. No. And uh-huh. that's... For... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, they're not great. For for a series villain, they're kind of like... Mm. Yeah. And they were only around for a few seasons, right? Yeah. And then never heard from again. And never will be heard from they again look, because they're too far away. They look like somebody took like a Mon Cal cruiser and stuck fins on it. A little bit. Yep. Yeah, just put a bunch of spiky bits all over us, like a um, torpedo-looking thing. Yeah. Bummer. Bummer. It's for, for for a chance to encounter the Delta Quadrant, or, like, the ships were not crazy. And I don't know that you can make them super crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next month. <laughs> yeah. We'll have another... Uh, Subspace transmission. Woo! All right, where should uh, people tell us what the ships we missed? Uh, if you want to tell us about the best ships that are out there and the ones we clearly didn't talk about. Your favorite. Uh, your favorite one. It's going to be podcast at wewergamers.com, an email address. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you can get us uh, at po- at wewergamers on Instagram and Twitter. We read those all the time. Uh, also, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash wewergamers. Give us a follow and a like on there. Uh, give us those sweet reviews on iTunes and Google Play and wherever else fine podcasts are reviewed. Uh, and if you got any suggestions for a topic for the show that you want to hear, yeah, we are completely open to doing all kinds of topics uh, on these. So if you got good ideas, please send. Oh, we didn't them. even talk about like the original design for. Uh, what was the first ship called? The um, what's his name? 
I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I know. There's just too many things to remember, and it's too early in the morning. This coffee has not worked yet. Uh, is that from Cochrane's ship? Oh, yeah. Man. These just go on forever with this topic. All right. We got to end it. <laughs> That's true. And, like, the Vulcan ships. We didn't even talk about Vulcan ships either. Oh, my gosh. Part two. <laughs>